Ah. Start talking. I got a scotch. <laughs> I got a whole bit of sin here. Let's uh let's talk about some urination experiences. My family has always played the game of cribbage, which is, for me, I still think one of the most underestimated games of all time. It is uh, a card game where you have, it's like a racetrack. And I went through most of my childhood thinking that none of my friends played this game because old women play it. And around the age of 13, I found out that my friend Tom, who I've known has lived right down the street from me for years, also played cribbage really, really well. And we were really pumped up about it. And we started playing. And it was just like this new, you know, this new thing that we could do. But, of course, all of our friends thought we were absolutely retarded. You know, they, they didn't understand what's going on. We're, just, we're sitting there saying, this is a double run. This is this. So, in order for them to allow us to play the game, we had to make it interesting for them to watch it, even though they didn't know what, what was going on. So, we ended up doing these big bets It really wasn't that you won anything. It was, of course, just, you know, the person lost had to do something, you know, really bad. Or just the person who lost got something, uh, you know, shameful had to happen to them. I won all the beginning ones. I was really pretty pleased. Um, my favorite one was still when I got to go into his house whenever I wanted to and teabag, which is not familiar with for people. It's either they put your balls on something. We had to teabag five things in his house. And, I mean, I guess I didn't even think about it back then, but his whole family really did suffer this. But five things in his house, and he could never know what. And we ruled out, couldn't do a toothbrush or things that were directly related to, to like, the mouth. But I remember I went in one day after school. I knew he was going to be down, downtown. I went, and, and I was very good. I kept, I kept the five. Was, I did, like, you know, the, the microwave button. And uh, I, I slid my balls all up and down the um, his uh, refrigerator door, and I had you know all these doors, his room, and you know things in the bathroom. It was pretty good. But then the big one that I can think of is the time where I then started losing. And this one I lost where if you lost, you had to take a shit in the middle of the street. And it had to be with all of our friends there in the middle of the, of the road right in front of his house, which is a fairly big road. And I was 50 feet away from them. We set, you know, the, the proper feet you had to be off. And I was pulling down my pants. It was the middle of the night where people looking for cars. And I just couldn't do it. I just could not for the life of me. I couldn't. I couldn't shit in front of all my friends. I mean, I felt very comfortable with all of them, but it was just something weird. It was in the middle of the cold New Hampshire road with your ass out there, just like bending and trying to shit, and I couldn't do it. I don't really know why. Like, we all shit and piss each day, but like the, the minute you're, you're, you are put on the spot to get shit in front of like all of your friends, it's just like it's really, really fucking hard. So we then had to augment it, and I had to go and piss my pants in front of everybody else. 
at one of our parties the next, you know, couple weeks. Any other thing with, I mean, um, any other thing with, I mean, um, I was in the next room and I realized this was a good time to piss my pants. I, I didn't want to like cause a stir and be like, now I'm peeing my pants and then like fall through again. That's easier because your ass isn't out or your, your, your penis is not out. But I was kind of trying to get all set. And there were a good like 30 people there. So I was you know, trying to go to the main room. And I had to do about five minutes of prep work just to start to get the first kind of piss out. Because I think that once you kind of break it, like once you begin, you can kind of do it. And I first just, and I launched in the room and I started pissing and I just raised up my hands to, you know, a giant V and I just screamed like, it's, it's, it's happening and like, it's happening and then, and then turned and they didn't really know what was going on. I just sat there and I refused to like point down, like show them until it was just like my whole left leg was just like, you know, covered in piss and it was actually, it was actually really kind of a release because it, it, it had been actually kind of like, kind of freaking me out the day. Be like, can I piss? But I, you know, went in there and there was cheers and everyone was just, you know, everyone was really pumped up. Except then my friend Sam found out that it was his pants. my hands were shaking and um <laughs> I just was like oh, just stick it into the hole and the nurse who was like in there with me is like yeah just just stick it into the hole just just put it in and <laughs> just stick it into the hole just just put it in and I put it in and I put it in and I felt like I had put it in like so much and nothing was coming out and then finally urine started coming back out through the tube and I, I knew I had done it right but it, it was scary putting tubes into people's body. It's not something I do on a regular basis. What color is it? Is it, is it brown? Is it, is it gold? Is it light yellow? When I first was like a kid and thinking about what I wanted to do when I grow up, I was thinking about becoming a nurse and I thought it was pretty gross to have to like deal with poop and pee and blood and all those other gross things that come out of people's bodies and puke and everything. Um, but really urine's the most sterile thing that a body makes. It's totally sterile, no ana or bugs in it and anything like that as opposed to blood or puke or poop. Um, so like if it splashes on me now, like I always just tell myself it's sterile. And I always feel weird telling like these little old men like, all right, you got to clean the tip of your penis three times with these sterile wipes. And they're like, I have to what now? 
and clean your penis three times around and they're like with what so I always kind of pull out the wipes and and show them or sometimes do it and it, I don't know you just have to kind of remove yourself and not view the person as another human being maybe not view the person as another human being but more as your patient um like you know you don't see like this is a huge penis in my face or whatever you see it as it's your patient and it's normal and it's part of their anatomy and um if you have any you can't giggle at someone's penis when they're peeing that's just not professional your antibodies are there, uh, any vitamins and minerals that haven't been uh, already absorbed into the bloodstream and used are there. Uh, it is like, it is equivalent of blood plasma is what it is. That's what I've been told and what I understand and what makes sense to me. It just made all the sense in the world to me, so I immediately started doing it on a um, well, just a light level, not a, like some people do all of it all of the time, and I just uh, do the morning. Well, uh, people were curing themselves of things like cancer and AIDS by, uh, by just recycling their holy water. referred to as holy water because it's uh, supposedly mentioned in all the holy books that this is there for you to use. And, um, and it's very well known as an old wives' remedy in Europe. It's always been there. It's nothing new. It's just that I think here in the past century especially all that kind of lore was kind of poo-pooed and maybe wiped out in preference to more um, advanced uh, whatever. Yeah, well, people don't necessarily look at their body functions as clean or possibly helpful. Uh, it's a lot of brainwashing that goes on here, I think. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I do know someone who recycles 100%, and I and I understand the way I understand it that you would recycle 100% if you were deathly ill. <laughs> Actually, my brother. I told him about this. Um, all my family long time ago, but he tried it and stopped. And then he, when he got back into it, did some of his own research and got back into it. He said, I'm, I'm doing 100%, and this has been within the past probably year or two. And he's very excited about it. He thinks everybody's just, uh, you know, throwing it away, throwing away something valuable. Mm -hmm. 
that's the problem. You see, people um, look again at their bodily functions as dirty. They don't really love themselves enough to consider that something like that would be um, palatable and and workable. It would just make them, you know, turn up their nose and walk away instantly. So it's not even an option for a lot of people. I've heard people say, well, I'd rather die first. (laughs) In fact, one of them did die. (laughs) It's kind of not really funny. But, yeah, do your homework before you do anything. You might not believe the story I'm about to tell you, or you might not believe all of it. And that's okay. Sometimes I feel the same way about it. I turned 21. I hadn't really been doing a lot of drinking, certainly not at bars. Mostly because I had grown up very religious, but also because I was very timid. You know, the whole idea of having a fake ID was really, really scary to me. So uh, so I turned 21, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go to a bar, and I decided I was going to meet some friends at this place called the Texas Star Fajita Bar, but I went to the wrong one. I was supposed to go to the one in Lincoln Park. I went to the one on Belmont. It was closed. And I was with a couple of people who I knew, but, you know, weren't my my best friends. And we went to a bar across the street that was called the Blarney Stone. And we were the only people in there who were under the age of 40. The bartender was uh, extremely depressed. And we asked her, said, could you please, uh, you know, give us a free drink? It's my birthday. And it was my, uh, my, the friend who I was with. It was also his birthday. And, uh, you know, um, then she looked at the, the third friend. And she was like, oh, is it your birthday too? And finally agreed to give us a drink, you know, but with no fanfare. We sat in the corner, uh, getting uh, increasingly uh, drunk and, you know, feeling slightly old. But also it just wasn't as cool as we thought being at bars was going to be, you know, it was all these just 40-year-old people kind of staring off into space and uh, watching the game on TV, and it was, I don't know what I thought it was going to be, you know, but I certainly thought it was going to be much more exciting than this. And then in the middle of the conversation, this bar stool comes bouncing across the bar and almost hits us, and then I see a man running after a woman who he has apparently just thrown the bar stool at. He picks her up, and she starts flailing around in his arms, and he says, you bitch, you bitch, you're too drunk to know what's good for me. I'm going to have to carry you home. Eventually, she falls on the floor and says, I can't believe you treat me like this, and we're getting married. The bartender says, without really raising a whole lot of energy, can you please take this outside? The woman runs out into the middle of uh, the middle of Clark Street and gets stuck in the middle of the road. There are cars and cars are coming the other direction, so she's standing in the median. The man runs way out before he catches up with her. He leans over to our table and says, "Sometimes you have to smack the bitches around a little bit because they don't know what's good for them." We said, "We can't really back you up on that one." Um, someone has called the police. He catches up with her in the middle of the street and starts hitting her. 
cam driver sees what's happening. Um, just as he's driving past, pulls into the middle of the road, gets out of his cab, grabs the man off of the woman, and he starts hitting the man. <laughs> they tumble one on top of the other, their shirts are getting ripped off, back across the street to right in front of where the bar is. The woman, who is drunk off of her ass, stands up, gets into the cab, and drives off. Forty-five minutes later, I'm on the platform at Howard, waiting to switch from the red line to the purple line, and sitting under the heat lamp. It's February in Chicago. It's cold, and uh, sort of trying to process this scene of domestic violence that is a far cry from the 21st birthday that I had always dreamed of. And I'm kind of staring at my legs, staring at the floor, and then I notice that the woman next to me gets up really quickly. Why is she getting up, you know? This is a prized spot underneath the heat lamp. And then I look over to my right, and I notice that there is a man peeing on my leg. (laughs) Tell me about your friend who you wish was here. Well, I have a friend, um, his friend, his friend, well, this friend, I don't know how much I want to say it, and this is about, you know, Sam himself, but Sam is in a lot of, um, a lot of movies, so he's actually someone who's kind of known in the public light. I've been friends with him since I was about 12, and he can urinate on just the average urination he is probably for him about two minutes. And it's absolutely phenomenal. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Like he, he, he has the loudest, most consistently strong, long pisses I've ever even thought of. And, and, and he just can go on and on. And he says it's, each time he takes a piss, it's like the most satisfying thing that he does. I'm a very loud person who, you know, makes his views known and, you know, maybe pushes the envelope in many ways, but there are two places where I feel very, very strict about not making a scene. That's in a restaurant and in a bathroom. I'm in a bathroom, I will very rarely strike up a conversation if someone else is in there or make a joke or even acknowledge that what I'm doing is taking a piss or taking a shit. I just feel like... People are on guard there. You you, I mean, you're you are in a public place. You've got you know your genitals out, and in the one place where you want to make sure you're gonna have no, no bad experiences with other people is in that type of setting. You know, and I think that everyone has a little bit of tension, hence this stage fright and all that. So there's a certain code of conduct that you have. terms of stage fright I've always been kind of I've always thought of it as being stupid that I would sometimes get it but when you're sometimes you, you, like you know you're you're in a public restroom and there's all the urinals there I'm very conscious of 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 that and you know your shoulder is almost rubbing up against someone and it's like you know sometimes you just can't piss when I'm in a public stall and my pants are down and there's like you know gaps in the stall and it's you know it's you feel like cold and sterile and there it's like you're, you're I think you're in a very fragile state so I mean 
That's why I kind of maybe wish that I had a, you know, super piss like my friend Sam would just be like, you can kind of like counterbalance it with just power. The way he takes a two minute piss is definitely manly, powerful, awesome. I wish I could do it. I think, I think the part of the time is, is that I don't have that type of piss. I think also in like the business setting with all these urinals and you're all pissing, you know, you hear the different ways that people piss too. And like, you know, I mean, you, it, you know, probably it's, you know, it like correlates to like penis size or something or like you would think it would or something like that. So the guy who goes there is like, you know, the, you know, third, third, like urinal down is like, it's like, you know, hosing down this, you know, sounds like he's making a cappuccino or something like that. It is like absolutely like, you know, that's, that's like the guy, like he is like the best pisser in that. I mean, I, I, I don't know if anyone else thinks about these things, but I most certainly do. I mean, and I think we all kind of do though. I mean, I think we're not being honest about, you know, how important pissing is in terms of kind of like a power you know I think the bathroom can kind of make a battleground definitely definitely And I start telling this story, you know, and I'm pretty animated, you know, I'm pretty excited to have to tell, oh, this is how I turned 21, you know, I thought that it was going to be this great, you know, childhood thing, but then it turns out, woo, peeing, you know, and I tend to talk too loud, and uh, people are pretending not to listen to the story, but as I get to the part about the guy peeing on my leg, you can see people, you know, just sort of cracking smiles all over the all over the train where, you know, they, it's been betrayed that they have been, in fact, listening to me. Well, the man sitting across from us decides that that's his cue to join into our conversation, which he does primarily by making the same joke over and over and over again. He starts off saying, I bet your birthday happened on a Saturday night because it seems like it was a Saturday Night Live! And pauses for laughter that never quite seems to come. Then another man sitting next to him, who looks and smells as though he likely does not have a home, although he may in fact have one and just prefer to look and smell this way, says to us, you know, some people call that, referring to the peen, a golden shower, and they like it, sits back in the seat. At this point, three six-foot-three African-American drag queens get on the train in full drag, followed by a 12-year-old boy with ratty hair who is making fun of them, saying, you don't know if you're men or if you're women, what's wrong with you? One of the drag queens takes off her high heel shoes and starts shaking it in his face, saying, this bitch is gonna smack you upside the head with her high heel shoes, until the 12-year-old gets scared and moves to another car. 
Then our friend who may or may not have a home gets off at the next stop. And as he's getting off, as the doors are closing and just about to obscure his face, he says, I'm not gonna say I tried it, but it ain't that bad. Doors close. Unbelievable silence fills the train. And then our friend, who was uh, sitting across from me, joining into our conversation, says, as if it was what everyone on the train was thinking, that's like a straight guy saying I'd put it in my mouth, but I wouldn't suck it. He waits for laughter that does not come. And in order to ease us all through the awkward moment, he says, Saturday Night Live! All this really happened. And I have since uh, told this story thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And I started telling it to the point where I was like, you know what, it could not have really happened that way. It's just too ridiculous. Maybe they weren't really drag queens. Maybe I made that part up. The guy couldn't really have said, that's like a straight guy saying I'd put it in my mouth, but I wouldn't suck. I mean, come on. Who does this kind of stuff happen to? I'm starting to doubt my own integrity. It's like, am I making up my life trying to make it more interesting so that I will have better stories to tell? And really living with the intention of remembering instead of living to live? I'm at a party in San Francisco. And I hear from across the room someone going, Saturday Night Live! And it was a girl who had been with me on that train telling the story. That's it for Love and Radio. The show was edited by myself, Nick Vanderkolk, and produced by both me and Adrian Mathewitz. This episode is called Elimination. It featured stories from Jesse Allen, who lost a bet at Cribbage, and Maria, who talked about her experience as a nurse in an unmentioned hospital in the Boston area. We also heard from Daphne, an alternative health practitioner who talked about urine therapy. To find out more about urine therapy, go to shirleyswellnesscafe.com. That's shirleys-wellness-cafe.com. And finally, we heard a story called Saturday Night from the very excellent podcast Catalog of Ships. It was written and performed by David Terry in Chapel Hill and edited and scored by Michael Kraskin in Chicago. To listen to more of Michael and David's show, go to catalogofships.com. And for more information about Love and Radio, including the entire playlist of this episode, go to loveandradio.org. And as always, we love getting your feedback. Get in touch with us at contact at loveandradio.org. Start talking. All right, so there's this one more thing. Um, but a couple years ago, my family was going on a trip, so... Um, you know, they got the plane tickets and we went to the airport 
we got to the airport before we're going on on this trip like i had to go to the bathroom and my dad also had to go to the bathroom so we're both walking in there and 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 all the stalls were taken up because there were two right next to each other so my dad and i take those two stalls I remember being really weirded out, and I, I think I was probably pissing from my dad. I mean, like I was, you know, naked in the bathtub by my parents. I've probably seen my parents naked more than most people in their life, but I was pissing next to my dad, and I was just—I got really, really weirded out. And it's kind of like God, like I'm pissing right by my dad, and it's like it's weird, he's like right there. We weren't like really talking. It was kind of like, oh, like doing your like when you get into a piss and you just kind of stare mode, like. Mm. And I'm, and I remember thinking the whole time, and I'm like, how fucked up is this? I'm weird peeing next to my dad, but I came from my dad's penis. I came from my dad's penis, dude. Like, it's weird. Like, that's like where my life started. 